Well, we are uh, close to the end, actually, of our Easter series. Uh, obviously, Easter Sunday is next, uh, next Sunday. Uh, we're looking at the scenes in the Easter story between Pilate and Jesus. Uh, the title of the series is What to Do with Jesus, referring uh, mainly to the uh, decision that Pilate had to make about Jesus. This, this accused prisoner, we've been sort of asking all the way along, does Pilate believe the accusations that are made against Jesus? Does he believe the things that Jesus is claiming about himself? Uh, will he condemn him to be crucified or will he let him go? Uh, but also this is uh, about our response to Jesus. Do, do we believe the things that Jesus is saying? Uh, do we believe, in fact, that he is the Son of God? Uh, this morning, Pilate finally makes his decision. And uh, it's not really going to be a surprise. Uh, we, I think we know how, how this ends. Uh, we've heard the Easter story. Uh, Jesus is going to go to the cross. Uh, so the important part for us today is not uh, what happens, but why it happens. Uh, how it is that, that Pilate makes this decision? What does it say about him? Uh, what were the influences that we can discern from the text to help us understand why he made this decision? And again, what does this teach us about ourselves in terms of our response uh, to Jesus? So to set the stage, just to remind us where we are at, uh, Pilate and Jesus have been in the governor's headquarters talking privately. Uh, Pilate has been uh, examining Jesus, asking him, him questions. And uh, we've seen already that he, he's come to the point of deciding that Jesus is not guilty. And, and it seemed pretty clear he was trying to find a way to, uh, you know, to, to satisfy the Jewish leaders, but, but not actually uh, condemn Jesus. And so last week, we saw him bring out Barabbas and gave the people a choice. You can free Jesus, you can free Barabbas. He was surprised, I think, when they chose Barabbas instead, uh, which meant that Pilate was not off the hook. He still had to decide what to do with, with Jesus. And so that brings us to our text uh, today. Uh, we are going to read uh, John 19. We're going to go all the way to verse uh, 16, first 16 verses. So here's God's word to us this morning. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. 
Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So we delivered him over to them to be crucified. Well, there is obviously a lot in here worth considering. You could preach like literally dozens of sermons from all that is in this text. Uh, But for our purposes this morning, we're going to stick with Pilate. Focus on on Pilate because really one of the, the key dramatic tensions that we see here is the inconsistency between uh, the statements from Pilate of Jesus' innocence and then eventually having him, him crucified. So we're just going to ask kind of the, the main question, which is why? Why did Pilate condemn Jesus to be crucified? And I think the very simple, very clear answer that we see here in the text is that he did it because he was afraid. Afraid. There were, there were elements of fear at play in this decision that Pilate made. I think three key areas of fear that is worthwhile for us just to kind of look through and and examine. So here's fear number one. Pilate, he was afraid of the people. Pilate didn't, uh, he didn't like the Jewish people very much. He especially didn't like the Jewish leaders, but he was clearly afraid of what they might do if he didn't rule in in their favor. Uh, This explains kind of the strange handling of this case. At verse 38, we saw him make the the public declaration, this man, he says, "I, I find no guilt in him. That should have ended the legal proceedings. In Roman law, like he's the judge, he's examining, he comes to a point of decision, and he, he basically gives the verdict. This man is not guilty. That should, have, that should have ended things. His next words should have been, let this prisoner go, everyone go home. But that's not what happened. A bunch of strange things began to happen. Strange thing number one, he didn't dismiss the case. The case kept going, even though a verdict had been reached. Strange thing number two, he offers to release Barabbas, which, which they did kind of no release a prisoner, but not usually in conjunction with another court case. It wasn't usually like you pick the person you want to be released. So that was very strange. Strange thing number three, he scourges uh, a prisoner. He has Jesus flogged, even though he hasn't been condemned. Uh, that's that's a, a brutal, violent punishment. Uh, it's like a, a leather whip with all these different leather throngs with bits of bone and metal woven into them that they would, they would whip the prisoners, just rip open their backs. It was incredibly brutal, brought them to the point of death. But it would be for those uh, usually that were convicted. It was a punishment, a legal punishment that the Romans would give. In this case, Jesus was not a convicted prisoner. Very strange. Strange thing number four, he allows the soldiers to, to mock Jesus to dress him up. That was done in the governor's headquarters. He would have seen that. And he brings Jesus out wearing all of these things. It's pretty clear that Pilate is under some serious pressure to try to satisfy the Jewish leaders, to to do so in a way that there is is some punishment of Jesus, but not actually kill him. Now you might ask, why would, like, why is Pilate so afraid of, of the reaction of the crowd? I mean, he had He had all the power, he had all the authority, he had the Roman legions behind him. Well, the answer is that uh, there was history between Pilate and and the Jewish leaders, the Jewish people. Uh, If you remember, kind of at the beginning of our series, we talked about when Pilate uh, took over this position. He was a new ruler in the area. There's a lot of conflict. One one of the times, uh, Pilate had set up um, flags Roman uh, ensigns, like symbols of Rome all around the city. The Jewish people just would not stand for it. They considered it a huge offense, and they went and demanded that Pilate take it down. Pilate brought all the guards, remember, the the stadium standoff, and they were going to kill them. They said, 
you're going to die unless you go home. And they said, fine, kill us. That, that was the level of, of antagonism. And Pilate, in that time, he had to back down. He didn't want to kill this huge group of people. So Pilate had been in this position before, is what I'm saying. He knew the resolve of the people. He knew it would come if they're provoked, and he feared that he would lose his position. So you can see him doing everything possible, everything that he feels he can do to appease them, the flogging, the mocking, and then look what he says. Here's verse four. Pilate went out again and said to them, see, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. He's saying, look at everything that I've done. When Jesus comes out all just bloodied and battered, ridiculed, he's sort of saying to them, I don't even find him guilty, but look what I've done. Are you not satisfied? And of course, the answer is, is no. They are not satisfied. Uh, they, they demanded crucifixion. And you can just kind of feel the tension of the scene building. The fear of Pilate of like, what, how, is, how am I going to resolve this? But there was another layer of fear that Pilate was dealing with. Fear number two, Pilate was afraid of Jesus. We see this stated directly in the text, uh, verses seven and eight. The Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Even more afraid, meaning the idea that Jesus might be the son of God only added to the fear that Pilate was already feeling about Jesus. And we know where that came from uh, because earlier on, his wife, she'd had a dream about this prisoner and she sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with this man. I'm very troubled by this man. And so Pilate was already a bit nervous about it. And now he finds out that Jesus may be a God the son of God, uh, which in the Roman mind, just so we're clear, he, he wouldn't have thought he was like the Messiah, the second person of the Trinity. That he, he probably would have thought he was like a demigod of some kind. Maybe he had supernatural powers, which made it, would have made him nervous. If he rules unjustly, like against Jesus, he would have thought there might be some retribution. So he was very nervous. You can see from the way that he's questioning Jesus now, after he finds that out, he says, verse 9, He says to him, where are you from? But Jesus gives him no answer. So so Pilate said to him, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? He's getting agitated. Jesus, you can imagine, answered probably pretty calmly. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you, where? From above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. You can see the, the agitation. So on the one hand, Pilate had the fear of provoking the crowd. On the other hand, he had the fear of provoking a God. But there's more fear. One other layer. Fear number three, Pilate was afraid of Caesar. This is the fear that finally tips the scales. This is, this is like the trump card that the, the Jewish leaders bring out. Now they see that, look, Pilate might let him go. So verse, verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And you might think again, why is like why is Pilate so worried? I mean, he's the Roman, the Roman ruler. Even if like even if the worst happens, let's say that the Jewish leaders send a message to Caesar, and they send you know say look here's what's going on. Why would Pilate worry that Caesar would side with with them? I mean, wouldn't wouldn't you think that? you know, the, the higher levels of Roman government would side with the ruler, the Roman ruler of the area, normally the answer would be yes. Yes, they wouldn't care that much about the people, you know, being ruled, whether they have complaints or not. But, but again, there was history here. Okay, there's, there's those, um, 
Examples I gave you before, the stadium standoff, the other one, the aqueduct outrage, remember that conflict? But there's another story that I'm gonna call the shield debacle, because I, I like all the names. Shield debacle. So in this, this was similar. Again, I don't know what is with Pilate, but this time he puts up shields around the town with the emperor's face on it. And again, the Jewish leaders are very upset, very irate. They go and protest. You gotta take these down. Pilate says, I'm not gonna take them down. Uh, it doesn't come to a violent head, but what happens is the Jewish leaders, they send messengers to Rome. And they say, look, look at what's going on. We demand that these be taken down. And Caesar, he actually sided with the Jewish leaders because he realized, look, there's never going to be peace in this area if we are constantly provoking them. So you can imagine the sharp words that would have been given to Pilate. Hey, Pilate, you're supposed to be bringing peace. We need taxes from these people. We don't need constant rebellion. Do, do your job. So now imagine that in Pilate's mind. He's thinking, if Caesar hears about this again, I'm, I'm in trouble. Right? There's this prisoner that they say is opposing Caesar. He hasn't, he hasn't condemned him to death. He's provoking the people. Pilate was pretty sure that if this were to get to Caesar, he would lose his position, maybe his life. That, that's how the Romans worked. So the threats from the Jews touched a deep place in Pilate's heart that brought him to the place of, of sitting down. You can see within a few minutes of them saying that, he sits down in his judgment seat and he reverses the ruling. Instead of this man being uh, innocent, now he's guilty. Uh, Pilate delivers Jesus to be crucified and fear wins the day. So that, that's Pilate, right? That, that was his response to the pressures of the moment. The question then for us now are, are what, what truths are contained here that are applicable for us? What insights can we glean from this in terms of our own walk of faith, if we're a person of faith, or even just understanding of who we are as human beings? I've got three things. First one is this. Our choices reveal our hearts. Our choices reveal our hearts. Uh, again, the dramatic power of the scene is that even though Pilate kept saying that Jesus was innocent, when it came right down to it, he punished him as if he was guilty. Now, we know that this was part of God's sovereign plan to save us, to redeem us, but it, it reminds us of something that we should already know about ourselves as human beings, which is that we, we can talk all day long about the things that, that we believe in, the convictions that we have, but we really don't know what we believe until we have to make a choice, a choice with consequences. Then the rubber hits the road. See, it, it, it seems clear that Pilate did sort of believe Jesus. He seemed to have some sense of the truthfulness of what he was saying. He definitely seemed to want him to go free, but that, that wasn't at the core of his heart. His core convictions had to do with preserving his own self-interest, right? Of, of protecting the things that were dear to him. That's, that's what he cared about. That's what he wanted to protect. And that was revealed fully when he had to make a choice. I mean, Pilate tried to avoid making the choice, but he had to make it. And when he did, we, we, we knew his heart. We know his heart more clearly because of the choice he made. And this is always the way it is for, for human beings, right? Of all generations, all cultures, Words are cheap, right? Actions matter. Choices always reveal our, our true convictions. Uh, this is true in the, in the big and small things of life. There's probably tons of examples that we could give. Uh, the one that came to my mind, because I thought it was, was kind of interesting, uh, some of you, I think, listen to, there's this podcast called This American Life. Uh, it's a radio show. They give stories from all over America. And uh, a few years ago, they reported a story out of Florida 
in the high school system, uh, the police there were uh, running a, a sting operation, undercover operation, because there was drug dealing going on in the school, and so they wanted to, to root it out. And uh, so the, the story focused on one young man who wasn't really a drug dealer at all, uh, was a good kid, good student, uh, but he, um, he had a crush on the undercover cop, the woman who was there, you know? He didn't know she was a cop, just a new student in school. And so he kept uh, trying to ask her out. And uh, eventually, they, they were sort of hanging out, and she said to him, hey, can you get me some pot? And he said, oh, look, I, I don't do drugs. I don't do She's like, well, can you, do you think you can get me some? Do you think you can find me some? And, and so after a few weeks of this, he was like, yeah, I'll, I'll find it. So he, he, did, he called around. He finally found some marijuana, and he went in and wanted to give it to her, and she said, no, I'll pay you for it. And he's like, no, no, I'll give it to you. He said, no, I'll pay you for it. And he, he sold her the drugs. And guess what happens? He gets arrested. And it's, it's kind of a horrible story, right? One where it feels like there's an injustice being done. But at the same time, what he would say is, look, I'm not that kind of kid who would have anything to do with drugs except that he was that kind of kid, right? When, when the right buttons were pushed, he made a choice and that choice revealed something about his moral composition. That's always the way it is for us. Right? We often find ourselves in situations where we say, look, it's, it's unfair. It's not, there were pressures, there was this, there was that, but when it comes right down to it, the choices we make, they, they reveal kind of the kind of people that we are. And here, here we see that this, has, this is especially true when it comes to faith, especially true when it comes to how we feel about the things of God and about Jesus himself. One of the consistent and probably the, the most uh, emphatic uh, command of God, rebuke of God for his people is, is, look, if you're a person of faith, don't just talk about it. Live it. Act on it. Uh, here's a couple of, here's one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. We see God saying this to his people. Joshua 24. Uh, he says to the Israelites, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. He's saying you've you got to make a choice. You, you can't say you're God's people, but then worship all these, these false idols, the other gods. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. You need to show your genuine faith by actually rejecting those gods and worshiping God alone. It's, it's your actions, your choices that show whether your faith is genuine. Same thing in the book of James. James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Again, it's not saying you need to do certain things to be saved. It's saying if you really believe, then you're going to live like it. Your words and your actions are going to match up. The choices you make are going to be consistent with what you say you believe. We can see this is true, but I think we also know that we tend to resist this kind of thing. I think we spend a lot of times uh, rationalizing our actions. We spend a lot of time uh, explaining away the choices that we've made with more and more words. Just think of Pilate, right? Imagine when he goes home that day, his, his wife is going to ask him, what, what happened? I told you to have nothing to do with that man. You, I heard you, you sent him to his death. What would Pilate probably say? Look, honey, I, I didn't want to. I tried not to. I tried everything I could. You don't, you don't understand the amount of pressure that I was under. What's he doing there? He's, he's trying to explain away the choice that he made. When, when it comes down to it, that, that showed what was in the core of his heart. His, his actions, his choice revealed what was, what was true. 
And it's the same with us. Whether we, we try to avoid certain choices, whether we try to you know, explain away certain choices, the, the things that we do, they do show everyone what we believe. So let me ask a few questions about this before we move on. Uh, think for a moment about the kind of choices that you've made up to this point in your life. What, what do they say about you? Big choices, small choices? What, what do they say about the nature of your faith, the nature of your morality? Uh, are there choices I- in your life, choices uh, for faith, choices to stand on your convictions, biblical, whatever they are, that you've avoided making because you, you fear the consequences? Because you just know, whether it's at work or in social situation, whatever it is, that you just, I'd rather not have to make that choice because I know what might happen. And lastly, just to think of it from kind of another point of view, do you think it could be that our faith is weaker, uh, shallower than it could be because we haven't made those kind of choices? Like, could it be that we're missing those opportunities to actually exercise our faith, to show who we are, if we are people of faith? And what might happen if we're willing to, to walk down that road you know, and make those, those difficult choices? Because whatever happens, the, the choice itself reveals who we are. That's the first thing. Second, second thing we can gain here, uh, insight, is our fears uh, rule our hearts. This is pretty clear from looking at, at Pilate, right? He feared losing his power, losing his position. And this is, this is what influences us. Our fears influence our motivations, our choices. Uh, they motivate our actions. Uh, but most of the time, I, I think, like I think if you were to ask Pilate, I'm not sure that he would be able to articulate, I'm, I'm fearful right now. A lot of the times we make very dramatic, very even destructive uh, decisions, and we don't even realize that they're being motivated by fear. I think for a moment of, um, you know, a lot of times uh, I think I can think of a bunch of different movies where there's a scene where there's a couple that have come together, uh, they love one another, the whole first third of the movie is them getting to know each other, and it, it seems to be working out well, and then one of, one of them will break it off. There'll be a scene where they either instigate a fight or a conflict, there's some superficial things that we have to, we have to break it up, and we all know, the other person knows that that person's just afraid. They're afraid of this relationship for some reason. Probably they're afraid that down the road, after opening themselves up, after really being connected, they will be rejected. And they don't want that kind of pain. So they end it early. They sabotage the relationship early. You you see that not just in movies, you see that in real life. Where people have fear, and they may not even be able to articulate it, but they run. Right? Fear of commitment, whatever you want to say. There's, There's all sorts of these kinds of fears that motivate us in a deep way. Think of the fear we have of a lack of control and and what we do to try to mitigate that. Uh, Fear of failure, of course. Fear of discomfort and pain. Fear of being alone. All of these things play into how we live our lives. But the greatest harm that can come from fear is when it, it drives us to turn our backs on God. This is the greatest travesty of the scene for Pilate. Right? Pilate seems to have some sense of the of the grandeur of Jesus, the majesty, the authority of Jesus. He clearly is interested in Jesus, not just as, a, as an accused uh, man, but as someone who has uh, wisdom in him. You can see the way he's, he's been interrogating him. It goes beyond just the legal parameters. He, Pilate's conscience clearly is stirred. He doesn't want to condemn him. You get the sense that if it wasn't for this trial, that Pilate would want to talk to Jesus more. 
would want to just engage with him in, in dialogue. But in the end, he fears Jesus more than he's interested, uh, who does he say? He fears Caesar more than he's interested in Jesus. So Pilate grabs hold of his earthly power and position only to lose everything he might have gained in Christ. And I would say to you, this, this is the test of genuine faith. It always involves confronting our fears about what we might lose in this world. That that's the essence of our faith and the road that God has called us to walk. And it's not hidden. It's, it's not, it shouldn't be a surprise because Jesus talks about it quite a bit. Uh, look at Mark 8, uh, verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? I think the last line is key. Right? The last line, I think, is Jesus acknowledging to everyone, hey, look, I, I know this is scary. I, I know there's going to be a lot of fear here of the things that you might lose. To lose everything in this world that you have, that's a very scary thing. But what he's saying is there are far worse things to lose than just the stuff in this world. You could... You could lose your very soul. You could, you could lose the eternal life that God has for you. You, you could be condemned to death forever. This, this is what should truly strike fear into your heart. That you will allow the things of this world to keep you from the life that we could have in Christ. See, when we truly know Jesus, when we truly understand what he's doing here, standing before Pilate, why he's allowing himself to be mocked, to be beaten, to be abused, to ultimately be crucified. And we understand that he's doing all of that to bring into our lives the possibility of genuine life, abundant life, spiritual blessing, treasures of heaven itself, not just in our eternal future, but even now, the peace and joy that we can have when we understand what he has, the door he's unlocked for us, then we better understand that when we're holding on to the meager things of this world, we're, we're shortchanging ourselves. We're, we're allowing these fears to bring about a condition where we will lose everything that we might have in Christ. Put another way, when we see Jesus as he, as he truly is, the fears in our life, those things that we're worried about losing, those fears melt away because we see the greater abundance that Christ has for us. Uh, John says it this way in, in 1 John 4.18. He says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. He's saying if, if we are people of faith and we're still plagued by fears, then there's some aspect of the love of God that we haven't figured out yet, that we haven't been perfected in. And I think that, that maybe really is the practical question that we can understand this relationship between the fears of the world and what it reveals about our heart and the need, uh, the opportunity we have to, to find peace, to find true love in, in Christ. But how, how do we actually live a life without those kind of fears? Like if we know Jesus, how can we, practically speaking, live a life where on a daily basis we aren't, we aren't struggling with these things? Well, the answer is point number three. We must surrender fully to Jesus. It's not enough simply to believe that Jesus died for our sins. Uh, that's the essence of faith, right? That's, 
When, when God awakens our minds and our hearts, we see the truth that we are sinners. We need a savior. Jesus died for our sins. That is the essence of being saved. But to actually live our lives without fear, we need to surrender to Jesus. Not just believe in him, but surrender it all. Meaning, we must trust that Jesus actually is sovereign over our lives. That he actually is the sovereign king. And that means that every aspect, every detail, every circumstance in our lives, they're, they're all in his hand. We have to fill our minds and our hearts with the truths of God's word so that we can actually see our lives, all the things in it from a biblical point of view, not just from our own mind's eye, but from the way that God sees things, the values he places on things. And we need to consider everything we have, including our, our very selves, our very bodies, as instruments of worship. Not to be protected, but to be used for his glory. <laughs> It's only when we come to that place of seeing the things in our life this way and letting go that then we will be free from fear. We'll be full of faith, full of love. Which frankly, it's pretty un uncomfortable ground, unfamiliar territory for, for most of us, I would say. Right? In, our, in our part of the world, we have many things and so we have, by and large, many fears. And it's not all bad things. A lot of it's good things, right? We, we, have, we have places to live. We have possessions. We have a certain measure of financial stability, whatever that is. We have, we have people in our lives that we, we don't want to lose. We have plans for our lives and goals. These are all good things. But if we're holding on to these things so tightly, we will always be afraid for one thing, afraid of losing those things, and we will never fully trust Jesus. And it could be that we will never make it to the end of our life with our faith intact because we will be, we'll be plagued by this fear of, of losing what we think is the greatest joy of our life, whatever that might be. It's just really hard to let these things go, especially when they're so immediate, so, so tangible. We aren't, we aren't practiced at this kind of uh, sacrifice and self-denial. Uh, our, our culture, even our Christian culture, we struggle to put this into practice. So I thought it'd be helpful uh, to read to you a quote from someone who had a lot of practice doing this, someone who endured a level of suffering that uh, probably none of us will or hopefully ever will endure. Um, uh, the man's name is Alexander uh, Solzhenitsyn. Uh, he's a Russian writer. Here's a picture of him. Uh, he was unjustly imprisoned in the Soviet Union's uh, notorious prison system called the Gulag for 11 years. This was back in the 1940s. Uh, he and other prisoners experienced just constant uh, inhumane treatment, abuse, torture. Uh, they were political prisoners. They were, they were trying to break them. And so he saw, he saw people who just were, were crushed and fell apart under the interrogation. But he also saw other people who were able to, to hold together, who, who, who were strong in the midst of this. And uh, so he wrote a book called The Gulag Archipelago, which was his own memoirs, interviewed a whole bunch of people who went through the system and, uh, and just basically revealed the truth about what was happening there in the Soviet Union at the time. But I came across a quote where he described uh, kind of what it took to endure that kind of inhumane treatment and, and to remain, to kind of hold together, to remain strong. And so here's what he says. He says, from the moment you go to prison, you must put your cozy past firmly behind you. At the very threshold, you must say to yourself, my life is over. A little early, to be sure, but there's nothing to be done about it. I shall never return to freedom. I am condemned to die. I no longer have any property whatsoever. For me, those I love have died, and for them, I have died. 
From today on, my body is useless and alien to me. Only my spirit and my conscience remain precious to me. Confronted by such a prisoner, the interrogation will tremble. Only the man who has renounced everything can win that victory. Now, now, now see the connection I'm making. I'm not, I'm not saying that the, the life following Jesus is like a prison sentence. What, what we're seeing here is that for us to endure these kinds of trials means that we have to see the things in our lives clearly, to see what is truly precious. For him, our, our lives, our bodies, all the things that we have are nothing compared to what? His spirit, his conscience, the very soul. That's what Jesus is saying. What does it profit us to gain everything the world has to offer, but we lose our soul? If we can be clear about that, then we can live a life without fear. We can live a life of peace and, and even flourish, even in those, those difficult times in our lives where things are taken away, where things are threatened. And it's, notice, it's not just a matter of believing. It's a matter of surrender. See, Pilate, Pilate knew the, the right thing to do. Right? In his conscience, he knew that he should let Jesus go free and listen to him, but but he would not surrender himself to Jesus, right? Why? Because he was afraid of what he might lose. He was afraid of, of not being Caesar's friend. But here's the sad irony. Years later, not that many years later, Pilate was actually removed from his position. Caesar turned his back on him. Caesar sent him into exile, got another leader to come in. Pilate died in France, like very far away from the power of Rome, from the glory of Rome. If everything that he that he grabbed onto, eventually just turned to dust in his hands. And Pilate never gave himself a chance to realize that, that Jesus was a much better friend than Caesar. That Jesus would never turn his back on him. Jesus, in fact, was laying down his life for him at that very moment. See, we, we might know what it takes to accept Jesus as our savior. We might believe the right things about him, but unless we surrender everything to him, unless we consider the things in our lives as truly elements of worship, things that we can let go of, we will never truly have the peace, the, the joy, the lack of fear that we need to be faithful and to experience the love of God. So here's some of the things that I think we should think about in light of, in light of this text. What have we not surrendered to Jesus? What is there in our life that we are afraid is going to be taken from us. And it, it could be a good thing. It could be the people in our lives that we just want so much for them to have a, a sense of security or, or faith or whatever it is. It could be the, the future that we are imagining for ourselves, whatever it might be. We need to ask ourselves certain questions. Like, can that thing actually save us? Can it actually bring the, the, the good of God into our lives? Will it love us? Will it stand the test of time with us? Or if we grab onto that thing and hold firmly, will we end up in exile? Will we end up in a place like Pilate, far, far from the, the true hope of our lives? See, Jesus, Jesus tells us in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. When we understand that that is the core of the Easter message and that that's actually been done for us, then it is possible to, to actually let go of some of the things that we are holding on to so tightly. And my hope for us this Easter season is that as we do that, we will understand that there is actually abundant blessing down that road. 
that, that the return is, is hundredfold in terms of what God will bring into our lives. It's not for punishment's sake. It's not for hardship's sake. It's that he wants for us to grab hold of the thing that will genuinely bring peace, genuinely bring joy into our lives. So as we close, I'm gonna pray that for us, that we would have that clarity of mind to see Jesus as he truly is, the source of abundant life. And that yes, he's calling us to let go of certain things, but it is, is out of love for us and for our good. So let me pray that as we close. Uh, Lord Jesus, I... I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Such a difficult thing, Lord, when there are, are fears that are plaguing our mind and heart. There are things, Lord, that we hold so dear. Maybe they are just things that we've acquired. Maybe there are certain positions in our lives. Maybe there are people in our lives, Lord, that we fear losing if we make certain choices for you. But God, I pray that we would see the, the clarity of this scene, that as Pilate turned his back on you, he turned his back on on everything that you might have for him, all the joy, all the hope, and that we too, Lord, when we turn our backs on you and grab onto something else, Lord, it's only a matter of time before we see those things for what they truly are, disappointments, even betrayals. So God, I, I pray for everyone here. I pray, Lord, that you would help us indeed to walk this road of faith without fear, Lord, indeed with joy and gratefulness, even in the difficult times. Lord, may we see the things in our lives and our very life itself as opportunities to worship you fully. And Lord, that we would have the strength of character, the strength of faith to make the difficult choices so that we might make clear that you are our Lord, you are our Savior. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for you did lay down your life for us and open the door to genuine life. May we have joy in that this Easter season. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.